so much great Advertising Week content, so little time. Snackable AI is now helping you navigate podcasts like this one, event sessions, and other content with chapters, topic tags, and more. Find the insights that matter to you faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is a longtime friend. We've gotten to do some really terrific stuff together. Uh, we were very proud, Kwame, to help you launch Saturday morning at Advertising Week way back when uh, with your colleagues. Uh, we'll talk about that. Our guest today is the co-founder of Ken, and we're going to talk about Ken, Kwame Taylor Hayford. So welcome, Kwame. It's great to see you, and thanks for being here. Love to see you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Very excited to talk. So Kwame, you've worked at some of the great shops that our industry's ever produced, and we're really at the forefront of digital marketing, digital campaigns, integrated campaigns, before a lot of us knew what they were. Uh, I'd love to go back to sort of your early days at YNR and then at TBWA and the Media Arts Lab. And you worked on, you know, stuff for Apple, some of the great brands this country, you know, we've ever seen. And reflect on what it was like then as you were beginning your career, what digital meant then. And I'm sure like all of us, you must marvel at what's happened in the give or take 15, 16, 17 years since then. It's pretty incredible. And I'll take it back to college, actually, where I started as a major in computer science but ended up doing a minor in business, uh, a minor in computer science, I'm sorry, and um, a major in business. And from an early age, I had a, a huge interest in technology and the internet and was was just generally really curious about new and emerging media. So I, I think for me, it was really natural to go from those early days of being in school to getting into the advertising industry and, and focusing my career more on digital. It, it, weird because I, I think at the time digital was very poorly branded as just those annoying banner ads that you would see on every website and um and and for me it was so clear to see what the potential of digital was and over time it, it obviously grew and you had the advent of social media and now we have um the beginnings of, of web 3.0 but uh but for me it was always a bit of a natural progression so i, I working at um you know, YNR and eventually it became VML and it's now VML YNR, but um, worked on, on really interesting projects that were focused on um, interactive experiences, um, both on the web, but also in the real world. I still remember we worked uh, early days, this was 2005, 2006, on a project with Xerox when they had, um, I'm sorry, with uh, Accenture, when they had Tiger Woods as a spokesperson. And we did these interactive displays at Chicago O'Hare Airport where you could walk up and you could touch the screen and download content and, and watch videos. And, and that felt pretty breakthrough even back then. But but today, I mean, it's so commonplace, you know, and it's exciting to see how, how quickly uh, things have accelerated since then. Uh, Media Arts Lab was incredible. Um, being there, early days, working on Mac versus PC, working on 
the iPod Silhouettes campaigns that was there during the launch of the original iPhone. Uh, it was it was such a dynamic time to see how the world was going to evolve based on this incredible device, you know, that you held in your hand. Um, I think I'm 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 very very interested in seeing how things continue to advance. Um, the metaverse and, and what's happening with um, the uh, ability for us all to convene, especially in a post-COVID world where we've been so used to doing this. <laughs> I think it's, it, it's going to feel even more natural that we're going to head into these spaces where we have you know, digital representations of ourselves that are interacting with each other. So let's dig a little deeper on that magical period at uh, Media Arts Lab. And there are very few real legends in our business, but Lee Clow and that group is legendary in the true definition of the word. That must have been a hell of a place for a young guy just sort of finding his way to have been at that time period. It was such a unique moment in time. I still remember interviewing at EBWA, Shiat, and then a few weeks later moving to LA and, and heading into that Media Arts Lab building. I think there must have been 30-ish people there at the time. And yeah, it was, it was incredible to see just how a really strong client relationship led to such transformational uh, work, you know, around these incredible products that Apple was making. I think to be, you know, in that building and to, to be, you know, close to incredible sort of creative minds that are helping to sort of build the future today. You know, a lot of that team has now gone on to, you know, Facebook and Airbnb and all these incredible companies that we know today, and, and they're helping to define those brands. Yeah, I think it was it was a very special moment in time. And they also had a good reputation for really mentoring and bringing their young people along. Were there particular folks who really helped you early on as you were just finding your way? Definitely. There were a lot of very talented and creative and generous people there who were, were, were very, what's what I'm looking for? Um, excited about sharing what they knew you know, and, and excited about giving some perspective. I, I remember those, you know, woman, Leslie Freeman, who's gone on to, I think she worked at Crispin and then she founded her own uh, company and is doing quite well. Um, there's a, a guy, Steve Turner, who's now uh, at Impossible Foods, uh, helping them sort of build and define their brands. Um, yeah, there were quite a few people. There's an amazing guy, Anthony Williams, who is now working at um, Observatory out in LA. Yeah, they're, they're, there were definitely some 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 talented and, and incredible people there who, um, and again, I think advertising to me, it's a people business, you know, it's about finding, interacting with um, people who are um, interested and excited to lean into the work that we do, of course, but also share what they know. Fantastic stuff. And Kwame, you sort of gravitated to roles that uh, involved a lot of different things and the, the, the language that comes up is integrated producer. Was that by accident? Was it purposeful? And you also worked with some incredible brands. I mean, P&G and General Mills, we touched on Apple, Xerox, Accenture, but that integrated producer, that's a very specific path that you went down. Was it by design or by accident? 
It was definitely intentional, at least from my perspective. So started off my career working more in sort of account service. And I think what was interesting about going into digital and in, in such a, an intense way and, and very early in my career was that there was very little definition around how you built a career in, in digital. You know, it was all very malleable, just like the internet itself. And I found, you know, my interests very early in my career, leaning more towards the creative um, side uh, of things. And I think working in, in digital, I was able to figure out how to get a very broad base, you know, because those that early uh, in the um, in the development of of um, digital advertising, there were very few sort of firm walls. So as someone working in that field, you could traverse, you know, handling the client relationship and going deep on um, the creative and working on the production. And I found myself very focused on helping uh, and working very closely with a lot of creative people to define uh, concepts and ideas and then having, you know, the knowledge, you know, based on my uh, education and, and, and also, you know, my role to, to execute and get things done. And I think I did that for, you know, very many years. And then later in my career, uh, I got excited about learning about the other ways that we can bring ideas to life. So working uh, on TV commercials, working on events, working on developing new products. Um, it was really exciting to traverse all that, you know, and, and to build the knowledge and to build um, the, the, the know-how from concept all the way through execution. Uh, and then as I, um, you know, rose through the ranks and started leading teams and ultimately, you know, um, decided to step out and, and build my own company, uh, I was able to take all of that knowledge and, and lean into the areas where I felt uh, really excited, you know, and, and today focusing a lot on strategy, focusing a lot on creative. And then, of course, with my background of, of production, uh, finding and attaching the right people to help execute. Uh, it's been a really sort of beautiful journey. Absolutely fantastic story. You sort of took an approach and, and I'll liken it to, you know, a guy like uh, DJ LeMahieu on the Yankees who can play first base, second base, third base. You know, you sort of became a guy who could play a lot of positions and really understood all the different disciplines and how they fit together. That's a great foundation for a career. Honestly, I think I was just very curious. And and I'll I'll also credit the fact that I worked at companies and for people who allowed me to indulge that curiosity. You know, there weren't tons of barriers to me exploring and, and sitting in the room with, you know, strategists as they were crafting and and uh, developing thoughts around brands that we were working on. And, and there was an openness to me sharing some ideas or some thoughts, you know, in that process. Uh, same with with creative, especially when it came to, to digital, because honestly, not very many people in a lot of the companies I worked at knew or understood the digital world um, as well as I did in, in a lot of instances. So me being able to be a part of those processes and to help bring ideas to the table and to help you know, craft and shape them. And then ultimately, from a production standpoint, I think having the know-how to attach the right people to a project and, you know, lead them through executing it and making that, you know, the the highest degree of, of, of craft kind of possible in, in whatever that medium was. Yeah, I, I feel I feel very, very fortunate that I've been able to, you know, be in spaces that have allowed me to 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 run that gamut. 
And looking back on that era, and I know you worked, I guess Jerry Graff was one of the guys you worked with at some point too. I, I love Jerry. Um, were there any particular campaigns or anything that you look back on, you say, oh boy, that was really something? There's actually one with Jerry that um, we uh, worked on for, for JCPenney. And uh, it was, you know, it's one of the first times in my career where um, I was, I remember this really well because it was for JCPenney. It was called Beware of the Doghouse. And uh, at the time, um, uh, it was um, it was a very challenging project for many reasons, but but you know we got it done. We we ended up making this um, film with um, Brian Buckley, who was a very close collaborator of Jerry's at the time. And um, and I remember the campaign launched, and I was on the subway to work. And this is the first time it happened to me. Um, I heard a group of guys who were probably you know six seven feet ahead of me talking about the campaign. They weren't in advertising. They had nothing to do with our industry, but they had seen the work out in the world, and they were just they were they were so um, animated talking about this campaign, and and you could tell they really liked it, and they were laughing, and I don't know, it was it was it was very special, you know. And I I we launched that campaign, I believe, in two thousand and eight, and it did you know twenty million views on YouTube. I mean, it became a uh, probably one of the more successful things that the agency had done at the time. Uh, and this was at Sachi and Sachi. Uh, and it was fun to be involved in that, you know, and, and it was fun to to see sort of Jerry's leadership and and uh, selling, selling the idea into the client, which was not a an easy thing, but we got it done. And yeah, it was cool to be a part of that. That's great. Yeah, I really love Jerry. When he uh, moved from Sachi to TBWA, uh, we did a camp. Or did he go the other way around? Which, where was he first? It was the other way around. Other way around. We did um, a great campaign um, that was very difficult, a very difficult brief to raise money for the World Trade Center Memorial. And I had gone to Tom Carroll and Jerry Miller. Jeremy Miller was there at the time and Jerry was the creative. And it was such a difficult thing to get right. The sensitivities between first responders and survivors and um, it was a wonderful campaign and had just the right touch. Uh, and we ended up raising about 300 million to close the funding gap on the memorial. But that was, it was all the creative, it was all Jerry. And he oh, did wow. a brilliant, brilliant job. And the TVWA people, you know, did it all, you know, pro bono. They were very generous. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the world of Jerry. And Kwame, you also navigated sort of working for big shops, and we touched on some of them. Uh, and you also started to really, you know, feed that entrepreneurial beast that was within you. And uh, I'd love to talk about where that comes from. Did that come from your parents? Was it something that you just had within you? Uh, because you are always struck me as a, you know, entrepreneurial, you know, not really the corporate guy, you know, punch card, you know, kind of uh, time clock, you know, Time clock kind of guy. I will take that as a compliment. I um, I, I think it definitely comes from from my parents. You know, my my mom was an entrepreneur. She was uh, an architect. She started her own firm, and um, and I think just generally was was uh, someone who's a bit sort of you know restless and had lots of entrepreneurial energy. I'll put it that way. So I I um I think I absorbed a little bit from from her, but I I I feel like. I'll, I'll, I'll credit it to my curiosity. I've, I've always just been, you know, really interested in, um, 
trying to push as much as I can, you know, myself and, and figure out what my boundaries are, I guess. And I think, um, again, uh, I, I have had a healthy amount of failure associated with that, but, um, but I continue to be, I guess, optimistic and continue to be curious. So, uh, you mentioned, yes, definitely spend some time at some bigger agencies and I had a great experience at, 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 at them. Uh, but I also worked at some smaller shops and I'm really proud of what I was able to, you know, contribute, but also what I was able to learn, you know, working for, uh, you know, Anomaly at the time, which was, you know, a smaller shop, I guess, um, and Sid Lee, which is really where I, I think, absorbed the most from an entrepreneurial standpoint. You know, I joined, there were very few employees um, in the New York office and we were able to, uh, with, you know, leadership team, grow that to, uh, almost, you know, 70 people. Um, and uh, we were doing incredible work for uh, clients like, you know, Apple and Facebook and Stella Artois and, uh, and the North Face and, and, and Netflix. Um, and, and eventually, you know, was a, a part of the journey of, of Sidley being uh, acquired by um, Q or, you know, Hakahoto. And I, I think, it was it was very cool to see how uh, a business, but more importantly, a culture was created around uh, that that um, that company. You know, and and today I still have uh, really great um, contacts and friends that were a part of that journey at Sidley. And my co-founder at Kin um, is uh, someone I work closely with at at, at Sidley. So, yeah, a lot of love for um, not just working at you know bigger sort of established agencies, but but being a part of you know building and growing something. Sid Lee's a great shop, I guess, originally out of Montreal. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yannick Deschen has been a good friend of ours forever. I don't know if you know Yannick. I do. I do. It's, it's funny. There, there's so many incredible people that are part of that company. Yeah. Yeah. And we did a whole thing with them with Cirque. Uh, I guess the founder of Sid Lee and Danielle Lamar, the longtime CEO of Cirque, were very good friends. And we did a whole, I had no authority whatsoever to do this. But I declared New York City and Montreal creative sister cities. And the mayor of Montreal came down and we did a whole thing with Cirque at the old Roseland, which is gone now. We had a performance of Cirque as the rap party for Advertising Week. Facebook was our partner for the night. And the mayor came down and they served poutine, which I don't see how those people stay alive and eat that stuff. <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredibly heavy, but also very, very very tasty. But part of the culture, and that's a great experience for you to get to see all those different cultures. It, yeah. And, and it's, it's part of how I grew up. You know, I, I was born in, in Manhattan, but I uh, grew up mostly in Africa and Europe. So for me, it's having that sort of international experience and perspective, I think has been very, very important to nurturing the sense of, again, curiosity that I, I've had about the world and about people. Yeah. Absolutely. A great, great story. So let's talk about what brought us together initially, um, which was Saturday morning. And I know a lot about it, you and Jayenta and Keith and Jimmy, who was with you at the beginning, but I don't know the origin story of Saturday morning. Uh, and I'd love to hear that from you. Sure, sure, sure. And I'll give you, you know, my, my sort of perspective on it. So, so you're, 100% correct. And I think you, you may have um, uh, not mentioned uh, Jeff Edwards, who was a part Jeff of the uh, original yeah, crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Gianta, yeah, yeah, Jeff Edwards as well. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. So it was 
you know, it was born out of 2016. And I don't know if you remember, but there was a particularly bad summer of young black men being killed by the police, you know, Philando Castillo or Gardner. And, um, and, and I think it just sparked something. And to be honest, all of us, you know, to want to lean in and, and, and do something to help. And, you know, more specifically, you know, Keith, Jeff, uh, Jayanta, um, and, you know, Jimmy at the time, we're in LA, and they met up and, and had a really intense conversation about just the experience that the country was going through at the time, you know, relative to these um, crimes. And, um, and, and I think it was a moment that was, was really important. And, and, and that's really, I think the moment Saturday morning was born, you know, and, and I think shortly after that, uh, they had you know reached out and you would sort of generously offered the stage at advertising week forward, sort of the formal announcement. And, um, post that uh, meeting in LA, uh, Keith uh, Cartwright and I were um, on text together, just talking and, and you know, having um, just a, a, a discussion about how we could all help, you know, and how Saturday morning would kind of come to life and really build a, a platform where these conversations can happen in a very positive and constructive way. And, and, and that's really when, you know, I got committed to, you know, Saturday morning and join that, you know, team on stage with you at Advertising Week to announce to the world our ambition to have this, um, you know, incredible space where we could take these skills that we've gained working for global brands, um, working in, in, in advertising, and apply it to the challenge of racial bias and injustice. And you know, we 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 put out a, a call and and asked brands and asked individuals to sort of join us in that ambition. And and fortunately, and and you know, large credit to you, Matt, um, for giving us that platform and giving us that stage at Advertising Week. We were able to get um, a lot of attention, you know, and and um, and that attention led to um, a, a very specific call uh, from from Mark Pritchard, who. I think was very excited to lean in with us to to help address the challenge and 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 since then you know we've had the pleasure and privilege to to work with him and to work with you know a few other brands um, Spotify and and um, and you know Facebook and IBM and the list goes on uh, to to build platforms and to build um, you know projects that really move the needle on the conversation you know and and I think short term that's been a lot of our focus because we are all you know from and, and connected to the world of advertising but um but but longer term ambition is 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 growing and it's bigger you know we we see an opportunity for us to be impactful and in, in, in culture in a in a much more significant way and and I think that's a lot of the focus of the work of Saturday morning um today and I know the story but I'd rather hear it from you the name Saturday morning so Saturday morning, um, there's a there's a, um, a famous Dr. King uh, quote that I'll paraphrase. Basically, describes Sunday as one of the most divisive days in um, uh, of the week because we all go to our different houses of worship, and at that point in time, we're never more apart, which is you know a bit sad, but but also very true. You know, so we thought, hey, what if Saturday morning, the day preceding Sunday, could be a day that we all get together and 
find an opportunity to convene and have conversations around the issues of our time and and more specifically for us the issues of racial bias and injustice and find a path forward you know so it's it's really yeah born out of this idea that we you know through conversation through community uh through a lot of very hard work can make significant progress and can make a difference you know in the lives of um our our you know our fellow brothers and sisters really and and um and yeah i think it's something that was hugely inspirational to us and and motivates us every day you know i think it's it's easy when you have sort of the peaks and you and you hear uh, of these you know pretty horrific horrific, horrific stories like, you know this shooting in buffalo for example but then a few weeks later everyone kind of turns the page and moves on which is which is a bit sad so um i think you know, we are committed to doing the hard work in the dark and uh, and continuing that work, even when the news cycle turns over. And all of you do this as volunteers. Yeah, yeah. Saturday morning is 100% not-for-profit. You know, I, I affectionately joke it's a, a night and weekend hustle, but um, but it's something that we're very committed to, you know, and it's been it's been since its founding, you know. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been almost, yeah, it's been almost eight, you know, yeah. It's been a few years now, <laughs> yeah, no, sure. which is a bit wild. Yeah. Let's dig a little deeper on two areas that are challenging for the country and for our industry. You, Jeff, Keith, Jayanta, Jimmy, who was there at the beginning, have all been in the industry a long time. How do you think the industry's doing, Kwame? I mean, I, I think we last year felt from where we stood at Advertising Week, that post George Floyd, it was the right year to try to do something bold and aggressive. And that was the impetus for what we did up at the Apollo Theater with Mary J. Blige and Jasmine Sullivan and YouTube was very generous in their support and making it a benefit for the Mandela Foundation. And our message for the night, as you recall, was if he can spend 27 years in prison, referring to Nelson Mandela, and then dedicate the rest of his life and his presidency to a message of reconciliation and forgiveness, maybe there was a little something we could learn in this country. Um, but looking at our industry, how do you think we're doing? Well, I think there's been a lot of talk and not nearly enough action is probably the best way to summarize it. You know, and I think, I think a lot of it is, um, you know, it's really unfortunate because to your point, there was an opportunity to do something really bold and really transformational, but, and I don't think that opportunity is gone by any means, but I don't know that a lot of companies or a lot of people capitalized on it, you know, and I think, you know, let's be honest, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard. You know, it's hard work and it's work that needs to be always on and not just on for a moment or for a season. And I think, not enough people have embraced that mindset that it's hard work that needs to continue. You know, I think I really applaud you for leaning into it and and creating, um, you know, that amazing experience at the Apollo and, and even some of the conversations we've had, Matt, about Advertising Week in South Africa and really expanding and kind of building the platform. I think, I think that's it, you know, and I feel one way that um, I personally have seen some successes, it, not thinking of it as different or adjacent, but really integrating it into what you do, you know? And I think it's, 
it's funny because I'll liken it to the early days of digital when a lot of companies were building separate digital departments and, you know, hiring digital gurus who would sit at the top of their companies. And I think they just failed to understand that everything would be digital. You know, it's just, it's just, it's, it's in the air and, and you have to figure out how to imbue it into every aspect of your company really. And every aspect of your teams. And I think, I, I think that conversation about, you know, inclusion and, and, and equity is, it's very similar, you know, it's, it needs to be something that everyone takes and integrates and advances and it can't be thought of as separate. Yeah. It seems like the trend the last, you know, couple of years is to go out and hire someone for a bunch of money, you know, give a fancy executive vice president of DEI title. Um, but then typically no budget and no real teeth or authority. I think that's the challenge, you know, it's, and again, I, I know a lot of really incredible people who are in those roles and they are smart, talented, well-intentioned, but I, I think it's tough when they aren't given the resources or the real authority to make the changes that we all know are needed, you know? And I think it's, yeah, in a way it's, they're a bit set up to fail, which, which sucks because again, there's so much good will and good intention there. Yeah, no, I think that your take is accurate. And I think your analogy about, you know, digital actually was an odd one. I didn't know where you were going, but I think it makes a lot of sense what you said, actually. So let's talk more deeply, because I know as part of the work that you and your colleagues have done on Saturday morning, there's a lot of deep thinking that goes on into what you do. The problems that you cited that led to that initial meeting and the conversations, you know, give or take 2016, white cops shooting unarmed young black men, that continues to be a problem in the United mm -hmm. States. Uh, it is not a uniquely American problem, but just like the opioid crisis, it is much more prevalent here than anywhere else, as is what we are seeing on uh, an all too often basis uh, with these mass shootings. Uh, there was one, as I'm sure you know, many, many, many years ago in Australia, they said never again, and it hasn't happened ever again. How much of what we continue to deal with here is simply a matter of racism and fears by a white majority, which is about to become a non-majority. Well, within our lifetimes, America is going to be more than 50% non-white. How much of what we're dealing with in your view are fear-driven by a white majority that's hanging on by their fingernails? Tough question. It's a tough question, you know, and I think um, not being as probably educated about this as um, most people, because, you know, I grew up mostly overseas. So I think my my perspective on it is probably a little bit different than, than, than most. Um, I, I do think I do think the country is in a bit of a, a tricky place, you know, when it comes to exactly what you said, you know, that I the, the the truth is the country and every country is always changing all the time you know and i think it's 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 um 
it's unfortunate that some of that change or a lot of that change creates a lot of fear. My sense is a lot of that fear is based on a lack of proximity and a lack of understanding, you know, I, and, and, you know, I'll use an example. I, I live in Brooklyn and, you know, more specifically in Bed-Stuy. And when I walk down the street and when I go to the grocery store, or I go to a restaurant or I just, you know, just hang out in the neighborhood, I meet and interact with so many different people so many different people it's incredible you know and i think to me that's part of the beauty of living in in new york and that's part of the beauty of living in in um in brooklyn i guess um and i just wish that more people could have that experience because having lived you know in, in brooklyn and having lived in in cairo and lived in pretoria and lived in london i can tell you there's a certain amount of just we are all the same you know, like we're all living our lives. We're all um, caring for our families. We're all going to our jobs. And I don't know, I think there's a certain, you know, base level that's in common that I think having more proximity, having more interaction would probably help ease some of that friction and ease some of that tension, you know, because I, I do think that that's a lot of it. You know, I spend a lot of time in upstate New York because, you know, that's where my uh, wife's from. And it's amazing the shift in just the perspective and and also in in the demographics, quite honestly, you know, and, and who I get to interact with there versus over here. But I'll tell you, like spending time there helps me better understand that context, which is not my context, but I but I get it, you know, and I think, I don't know, I, I feel if a lot more people had that opportunity to be immersed in a different setting culture interact with different people some of what we're experiencing would would really be eased because i i don't think i don't think we're we're so dissimilar that it should warrant such a strong and visceral you know reaction and and it should stoke so much fear or so much hate or so much division yeah i think your uh take on Brooklyn and your day-to-day -day experience living in Bed-Stuy is deadly accurate. Now, I grew up in Queens, went to public schools. My family was originally all from Brooklyn, uh, Ocean Parkway, where my mother grew up. And that's, I think, what makes New York the greatest city in the world, is that density and diversity. It's what defines us. It what's, it's what fuels the creative energy of New York. And other places that I travel, London has a real similar energy in many, many respects. You know, there it's not the Latino population we have here, it's the Muslim population. But you swap out, you know, give or take a million Puerto Ricans for give or take a million, you know, folks, you know, from the Middle East. It's, you know, you get a different energy, but it's, but this is the same notion, you know, applies. Um, and other places that you go, you know, comes to mind for us and looking at our sort of global family of cities, Tokyo, very different energy, you know, wonderful place, love what we do in Tokyo, but there's a different energy to that city because the density is there, but the diversity is not. I've, I've, I haven't been, but it's definitely top of my list just <clears throat> in terms of, you know, innovation and sort of the future. But yeah, I've, I, I have heard this, you know, it's very homogenous and 
everyone that goes to um, Japan, again, from what I've, I've heard, um, is asked to really try to integrate or, or preserve their culture, which which I can also understand and, and appreciate, you know, they're, they're very sort of protected of, uh, or very guarded about their way of life and their custom. And I think it, it, in a way it's, it's a great contrast to the U S where I felt, I feel there's a lot more openness to the integration of others, you know? And I think that's what makes, uh, in my mind, America, uh, really great because it's, it's very, um, it's very flexible, you know, and it's, and and we're in in a way shaping, uh, like I said before, the country's changing every day, but we're shaping it to accommodate and to continue to be that place where you are accepted and you can be yourself. You know. Yeah, no, I think when we're at our best, you're exactly right. Um, let's talk about. I want to get to Ken, but let's talk about. You had a great run at Chobani, also a great company. Many years ago, he had Hamdi, the founder, spoke on our stage. I think we had him with Bob Safian, who was then editor at Fast Company. And a great company, interesting guy. Uh, and uh, I'd love to talk about your tenure at Chobani. Um, I'm super happy to talk about it. And yeah, it was an incredible experience to first leave the agency world and go brand side, you know, which back then was not, not a very popular move. You know, I think it's definitely more in vogue now. But, um, but it was cool to get a different perspective on what I'd done for so many years, you know, go be inside a brand help them uh, build a creative discipline that would basically look after every expression of this really incredible company that, that Hamdi had built. And um, yeah, to, to, to get to collaborate very closely with him, to see him lead in sort of his way. And, and, and again, you know, I, I, I think hugely inspirational, you know, moved to the U S from Turkey with not very much um, money um, didn't end up staying in New York City because it just didn't connect with him as much as being upstated, and um, and you know built this billion dollar company uh, in in record time and uh, and continues to sort of lead and, and innovate with the company today. I just think it was it was really cool to be close to you know him and to see that story um, and to see how he was you know building and leading firsthand. I think it it was. It was it was it was refreshing also, you know, because I think he's not the typical prototype of of what you would see in a in a big company CEO. And um and for me it was it was um it was also uh good sort of inspiration to to know that um an entrepreneurial adventure could be something that I could take on and, and could be something that I'm successful at because I didn't see myself as the typical person who would go out and, and try to build a company, you know? Um, yeah, I, I think, um, I think the work at Chobani and the team that we were able to, to attract, to help tackle the rebrand. And, you know, we did two to three campaigns uh, a year and we looked after all the digital, um, you know, platforms and all the retail and, and experiential. And it was very, very cool to just, look after brands so holistically, you know, cause in a, in a, in an agency you'll get, yeah, you get your retainer, you'll get a project or two. Um, but it's very rare for you to have that much visibility and control over the full expression of a, of a brand and not just the advertising part, but all of marketing. Uh, yeah, it was very special. And he was so passionate about the product. We were together once at a lunch and I said, 
I don't know what I was thinking. It wasn't very bright what I said, but I said something like, you know, I love yours, but I also eat all these others. And in slightly more eloquently, I sort of said, they all taste the same to me, which I is happens to still be true to this day. I can't, my palate is not sufficiently refined that I can tell the difference. And boy, did he jump, boy, did he jump down my throat. I was going to say it's the wrong move, Matt, wrong move. Um, but, um, but yeah, Hey, I, you know, I, I, it's almost like wine, you know, well, it's not really like wine, but it's, you, you get, it's very easy to tell actually the differences, um, you know, for, for me. And again, I've spent two and a half years doing it at Chobani. So it's probably a little bit easier for me than for most, but yeah. A lack of sophistication. So let's talk about uh, Ken. I love what you're doing there sort of unleashing business and culture as forces for good. Um, I now know that one of your co-founders goes back to your tenure at, at Sid Lee, uh, reuniting, uh, reuniting with an old friend. But let's talk about the founding of Kin, and you're doing some great work, great clients, Uber, Delta, Ben & Jerry's, MailChimp, you know, just really killing it. Um, I love that you're doing it for yourself and developing your own thing. It's sort of an evolution of everything that we just talked about, but let's talk about Ken. Um, thank you. And, and yeah, it's, it's been, it's been awesome. And I, I think the first thing I'll say is, um, having, you know, Sophie Ozu as, as my co-founder has been, um, one of the best decisions I've ever made, you know, we were uh, good friends and office mates actually, when we worked at, at Sidley together. And when I first thought about going out on my own, she was literally the first call I made, you know, and, and she was, and still lives in LA. So I, I, you know, flew over, we, we, we sat down, we had a really amazing um, uh, sushi dinner with probably a little bit too much sake. And, um, and I was able to, you know, share a little bit of kind of the ambition I had. And, and, uh, and Sophie is similarly, just one of the smartest people I've ever met, but also a really lovely human. And, um, and she was up for it, you know, she was up for the challenge of trying to build something. I think we were both sick of working on projects or clients that we weren't passionate about. And we wanted to make sure that the work that we did really meant something, you know, and, and made an impact in the world. So that was a bit the impetus for Ken, you know, we, um, very quickly figured out a name and a website. We had no clients, but we, we knew this was the path we were going to take. Uh, and we were fortunate. We, um, got a call from, you know, a former, um, collaborator of ours who was a, now a CMO and she needed help with the project. And so we quickly jumped in and we helped her. And, uh, and then shortly after that, we um, started working with MailChimp. So we've had a three-year relationship with MailChimp. It's been incredible. They're they're just an amazing company and, and some really, really good, great humans. Um, so we've done a, a few projects with them and then things sort of started to grow organically from there. You know, we're very intentional about seeking out the kinds of clients and kinds of projects that really spoke to us. And, um, and, you know, our, our, our approach is very top to top, you know, we're, we're highly collaborative. Sophie and I are, are very implicated in the work because we, we love it, you know, uh, but we also have a, a great team of, of collaborators and, and we've strived to not repeat the mistakes of the past. We've had a very strong point of view on getting, eclectic and diverse talent to the table and working with them to, to build the different projects that we create. But we're also focused on trying to, you know, create our own ideas because 
we want to be a, a creative company. And of course, we're going to do stuff in service of brands. But we thought it was also important for us to put uh, some work out there that really represents us. Yeah. Great stuff. And talk about, as we start to wrap, this notion of business as a force for good. You know, we live in a pretty tough world. And every day we read something in the press about the leaders that we have elected to lead failing to do their job. We just watched another failure around uh, uh, the Biden administration, who I certainly think heart is in the right place, just not able to put the ball in the end zone for so many reasons. But, you know, Joe Manchin just blocked a whole climate initiative, and now they're scrambling to try to figure out a way around it. I like that the House keeps passing bills trying to protect different things that our Supreme Court is undoing, but it's all a waste of time because the Senate is not going to go along. And almost every day we read about the House, they did something today on same-sex marriage or yesterday, and the Senate will not, uh, will not play ball. So it all ends up being symbolic and nothing's actually changing. It seems like a lot of the change and a lot of the progress that we're making on some of the ails and issues facing us are being led by companies, uh, not by the public sector. Um, what's your take on that? And uh, are we in an almost unimaginable position where uh, business, for-profit business, may be a bigger force for good than the not-for-profit sector in some ways and the public sector in other ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's already true, you know, and I think it's because business understands the concept of the win-win, <laughs> you know, like it's not the idea of doing good in the world and making money are not mutually exclusive. And I think you're starting to see, especially if you're talking to a millennial or a Gen Z consumer, that that they get it you know, and they're voting with their dollars. They're supporting companies and brands that they see as making a great product, looking after their employees, looking after the planet and the world that we live in, and, you know, moving the needle in a positive way on the social issues that they care about. And I, and I think that's not something that's going to go away, in, in my opinion, you know, and it's actually not something that's all that new. You know, in the 1950s, you had companies like Standard Oil, that believed in you know conscious consumerism and and they knew that even though they were exploiting the earth you know for for oil they had to do things in the community to make sure that the experience of people living there were, were were good and i think i think we're kind of returning to that you know and 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 your point is is 100 right i just think government you know is gridlock like nothing is happening and and if it is happening it's not happening at the pace of change that's going to make a material impact. And I think, or companies, I mean, they have the resources, they have the scale. I mean, there's companies that are, that are bigger than entire economies of most of the world, you know, um, uh, countries. So I'm making it up. If Apple decides to do something, they can do it at a scale that is going to materially change the experience of, of millions of people. You know, and, and same with Amazon. If Amazon decides that it's going to, you know, making it up, you know, give free healthcare to all of its employees around the world, I mean, that would be that would be pretty material, you know. And and so I I I feel it's already here. And I think the smart 
companies who understand their consumers really well and want to build those consumer relationships are already leaning into some of these issues and and they are you know paying for travel for um you know um uh for 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 care for women who um you know need help with abortions and they are you know paying for paternity leave so parents can spend time with their new children and they are doing you know lots of different things and i i feel i don't know i i feel that's i feel that's just a new normal you know because values that consumers that are coming up have those aren't going to change you know in a matter of, of days or, or years i mean it's it's a whole generation of people who have this belief that a company needs to do more and um and i feel companies are really good at responding to consumer demand so yeah yeah no well said and and i love what you're doing at kin in that arena uh that you got your own shop going is fantastic i enjoy our friendship immensely and uh thanks so much for doing this kwame it was a real it was a real treat to have you on great minds yeah thank you so much for the time i really appreciate it and yeah i look forward to to reconnecting again very soon Chaptering and other structural elements for this podcast are powered by Snackable AI. With the ability to unify all content in one place, have AI distill the best insights instantaneously, and share them seamlessly, businesses on Snackable create more relevant value for their audiences faster than ever before. Learn more at snackable.ai.